0: This episode is brought to you by Spirit of Threads from Nature by Hand. For Monica Ekerwerk-Hedman, it all began with a journey across India from the Kodaman Mountains in Kerala to the Himalayas. On her travels, she met craftspeople with knowledge of local materials and traditional textile techniques. And from those chance encounters, Spirit of Threads was born. Monica and her partner Mats and Anna work with Airy, Muga and Tussa Silk as well as cashmere and yak fibre. The Tavani and Arania, two companies exhibiting at Selvage World Fair, dye for them in beautiful natural colours. Spirit of Threads produce textiles to care for and to wear for a very long time. You can find them at spiritofthreads.com. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Selvage podcast. I'm Polly Leonard, the founder and editor of Selvage magazine. Our podcast explores the fabric of your life, that's the connection between cloth, culture and creativity. In this series, I'll be interviewing artists, designers, NGOs, cooperatives, collectors and just about anyone who wears clothes to find sustainable textiles that celebrate cultural identity, diversity and the heritage of humanity. What is it about cloth that is so appealing? Now more than ever, there's a hunger for sensual experiences that can only be satisfied by touch. We are surrounded by smooth surfaces from computer screens and kitchen counters to cars and sadly clothing. Clothing is increasingly constructed from a narrow range of mostly synthetic fibers. In this episode, we ask why, when it is generally considered that natural fibers are better for the environment and feel better against our skin. Only 42% of clothes are made from natural fibers. Furthermore, 39% of those are cotton. Always keen to support the underdog. This issue, I talked to proponents of these marginalised, undervalued fibres. An Angora rabbit farmer from Sweden.
1: It developed over time and became more than just a hobby. They are adorable and each and one of them has its own personality.
0: A weaver from Srinagar in Northern India.
2: There is no chemicals used. It's all landscaped, high glaciers, high mountains pure water, pure and
0: fresh. And a crofter and knitter from Fair Isle in Scotland.
3: Shetland wool was considered one of the softest wools available and it basically supplied the whole of Northern Europe.
0: To find out why, when given a choice, we should take a moment to pause before we swipe left. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I love cotton. Cotton has been used to create clothing for at least 7,000 years, and it is used worldwide because of its trademark lightness, softness, breathability, and most importantly, its low cost and easy care. You can throw a cotton t-shirt in a washing machine and then tumble dry it. It'll come out the same colour, the same size as when you threw it in the laundry basket. However, cotton does have a downside To grow the fibre for one cotton t-shirt, you need a thousand litres of water. Cotton is mostly grown in monoculture and is a pesticide-intensive crop. Although it's grown on only 2.5% of the world's agricultural land, it consumes 16% of all pesticides used worldwide. These chemicals wash out of the soil and pollute rivers and groundwater. What I want to know Is why, with such a wide variety of fibres to choose from, each with its own personality, fluffy mohair, feather-light alpaca, soft merino, smooth silk and crisp linen, do these fibres account for only 3% of the clothes we wear? Why have these wonderful natural fibres lost the battle of popularity so abysmally? Does it all come down to price? Polyester and cotton producers have been in a race to the bottom for at least the last decade, both coming in at around the £1 per kilo mark, with Shetland wool a very reasonable £5 a kilo. I asked Daniel Dyson of Seal International in Bradford about the price of luxury fibres. He told me,
1: Angora has a price tag of around £20 per kilo, with mohair, a shade over at £25. Then we get to the big hitter, which is cashmere, in at around £75 and Vicuña at a whopping £1,500 per kilo.
0: To get a clearer sense of where, by whom and how these rare fibres are produced, I caught up with Pernil Solferberg, an Angora rabbit farmer in the west of Sweden. Pernil, what came first? The farm, the rabbits or the knitting? I was a mate and my
1: husband the captain on a full rig tall ship from Oslo. We actually hold our first Angora rabbit the ship's workshop on the quay in Oslo. So this first rabbit we got from my husband's daughter, and then we bought the farm where we now live. And when I was pregnant with our first daughter, then I started knitting again. I was giving a pair of baby socks when our first daughter was born and these were knitted from hand spun yarn in 100% Angora. And then I understood what a wonderful material. Angora truly is.
0: Apart from Angora rabbit skin gaining top marks in the cuteness stakes, what makes their wool so special?
1: The, the Angora wool is extremely soft and it gets very fluffy due to the very fine fibers. The fibers are hollow, which makes the Angora very, very light. It weighs nearly nothing. And also it has an incredible heat insulating effect. It keeps you warm, but not too warm. And also, angora is very dirt-repellent, so you do not not need to wash it very often, actually. And it's strong. It's stronger than you would imagine. I would say that the angora fibers are as strong as sheep wool. Definitely, when it comes to tensile strength, it is even stronger. So, it's no problem to unravel if you make mistakes whilst knitting, for example.
0: I see you often blend the fibre with merino. Is this practice driven by economics as a way of making the precious angora fibre go further? Or does the merino complement angora? And how does the blend change the fiber's character?
1: I spun yarn and knit in 100% angora. This is, uh, of course, softer and more fluffy and luxurious compared to the yarns blend with some kind of lambswool but I used to blend with 50% Merino wool from New Zealand to get some elasticity in the yarn. And, and this blend is perfect for Bohusdikning, which I do, and helps to keep the garments in good shape. And because there's no elasticity in Angora, not at all. So depending on what you wish to use the yarn for, it's a good idea uh, sometimes to blend with some wool to get some elasticity in the garment.
0: Tell me about your rabbits. Why does their hair grow so long? And how exactly do you shear a rabbit? Well,
1: my angora rabbits, they are the core of everything I do. My interest and love for the rabbits, I must tell about, that always comes first. And then it developed over time and became more than just a hobby. It's very important to me that the rabbits are well and healthy and well treated. This is important for the wool as well. They are adorable and each and one of them has its own personality. So the wool and the angora rabbit never stopped growing. And the wool have to be shared either with a machine or as I do with a hand scissor. It's like therapy both for me and for the rabbit. So, so we enjoy it as much, both of us. I often sit outdoor and I can listen to the birds singing or when it's raining, I'm on the roof with the rabbits and just enjoying listening to them playing with their straw, eating their hay.
0: How is it classified? Is it wool or fibre? And what are the different classifications used for?
1: I sort saw, I saw the wool into three classes or... if you count dirty wool, but the rabbits are seldom dirty. Actually, they are very, very good at keeping themselves clean. And of course, you have the first class wool that comes from the rabbit's back and sides and will have a length of seven centimeters after three months of growing. So the second class that I call it is the wool from the belly. And, And this I can use for felted products. And then the third class that goes in no products, but that's the shorter wool from the rabbit's legs, shorter than four centimeters. I spare some of this to give to my female rabbits when uh, nesting prior to giving birth.
0: Thank you. It sounds like you take very good care of your rabbits. So my precious Angora Knits, how best do I care for them and keep them soft and fluffy? Well, when not in use, store your angora knits lying flat,
1: not hanging, and you don't have to wash it very often. It's often enough to just hang it outside for a moment when you have moisture in the air. That's a good idea. But if you wish to wash it, do as you do with any woolen garments actually. Wash by hand, please no washing machine, use lukewarm water, 30 degrees Celsius, and use wool detergent. And then just rinse thoroughly and press the water out gently. I used to roll it into a towel and press a little. And then I just uh, lie, put it lying flat on a dry towel, and it'll be dry with, uh, within 24 hours. It's quite easy, actually.
0: Thank you, Penil. You're listening to The Selvage Podcast with me, Polly Leonard. It's worth noting that Angora rabbits produce Angora wool, but Angora goats produce more hair. Goats are versatile, and like rabbits, hair from different parts of their body is used for different things. There are also challenges associated with goat hair, as Ptolemy Mann explains in Selvage Issue 74. Unlike wool, goat hair is complex and difficult to work, and the person spinning must be a real master of their craft. Certain weavers can only work with thread spun by certain spinners as they get used to a particular quality of fibre. If he pairs up different combinations or introduces new weavers, they can take several days longer to create the rug if they are not familiar with each other. We can't talk about goats without mentioning Kashmir, so we must cross the world to Ladakh, in the Himalayas and meet Asaf Ali of Kashmir Loom. Asaf, you produce Kashmir shawls of the finest quality imaginable. Can you start by clarifying what is Kashmir and how does it differ from Pashmina?
2: The Kashmir, actually, the locally known in a Buddhist Ladakhi language, it's called Line, but uh, mostly called Pashmina. The name derives from Pashum for fiber and it particularly comes from the goat called Changra, which lives in the high altitude regions of Ladakh in northern India, mainly in the neighboring Tibet at a height of about 3600 to 4000 meters. In Ladakh, the locally it's called Lene, L-E-N-A. We called it Pashmina, in Farsi they called it Pashim, in Europe they called it Kashmir. Would
0: you tell me something about the climate, vegetation, and landscape of the region
2: your goats call home? So the excellence of fibre reflects the quality of the grazing lands. So uh, the whole vegetation is very pure, there is no chemicals used, it's all landscaped, high glaciers, high mountains, pure water, although the level of oxygen in higher region is little less, but it is so pure and fresh.
0: Can you describe Kashmir fibre and tell me why it is comparatively expensive?
2: So the shepherds which we have, uh, nomads, raising these goats, there is a harsh winter six months. So basically they get a very little chance during the summer in the month of June to do once or twice we do the combing. So we collect this uh, pashmina and rest the six, seven months that area is closed. It's the harsh winters. And it is a very delicate fiber. It is not available in huge uh, thousands millions of tons and things. I'm
0: curious about how the shepherds obtain the fiber.
2: The fleece is obtained by combing. It is a natural process when during the month of uh, June when it is summer. It's removed by the men. Nowadays, of course, we use steel. It is just as you comb to your hair, so they get combed.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about how the yarn is processed and why this is still done by hand?
2: I personally believe if it is whole handly done, it actually gives a lot of people means of earning. Secondly, the pashmina retains its elasticity, its strength, the wool, if you don't use the machine, because the hand delicately handles it. shepherd to finish product. These all these communities who are involved, it is itself ecologically a very human done chain which which benefits in everybody in every respect. Whether it is a woman sitting like my mother, she is spinning and as we were children, as our education, she was playing a big role. There are young girls who go in Kashmir to college and schools they used to come free time they used to spin help their mothers or learn as an art very respected in communities of kashmir it is beautifully done and uh, women play a very important role in terms of raising the goat in terms of helping the men in terms of giving the vegetation so it has across the way it is a it's been centuries seen that it benefits enormous amount of people
0: Thank you, Asaf. In order to delve deeper into the importance of animal husbandry, we swing back to Europe and to Fair Isle, a remote island between Shetland and Orkney, to meet Matty Ventrilon. Hello and welcome to the Salvage podcast.
3: Uh, hello, Polly. Um, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Matty. you weren't born in Fair Isle. Can you tell me how you washed up in such a remote location?
3: It was an opportunity that appeared uh, while I was living in London. Uh, the National Trust advertised a property and it got picked up by the media. And I think it went viral at that time. It must have been uh, 2006, I think, if I remember clearly. And people from the United States, as far as the United States, applied. So that's how we got to know. Uh, about Fair Isle and the opportunity to come and live here. And uh, so I just had my son uh, at that time and we applied and we were successful. We were shortlisted. We didn't get the first uh, property that was advertised, but we came to visit the island and I absolutely loved it. So we kept in contact with the National Trust and the next time that property became available, we were uh, called and it was 2007, a year later. Can you
0: paint a picture for us of the island's geography and landscape?
3: Approaching the island from the sea is an extraordinary experience. Um, You start visualising it in the horizon just as part of a cloud and then as you come closer you see this very dramatic cliffs and little gorges and it's just incredible and then it opens to your eyes this greenery and of course because we're so exposed there's no trees so it's literally a 360 degree view of the sea.
0: You describe yourself as a crofter. What exactly is a crofter and how does it differ from a farmer?
3: The is type of land tenure um, that happens in Scotland and it was created to protect farmlands from evictions. A crafter has rights over the land and it has obviously responsibilities as well. And you are in charge of, of a holding, you have to keep it in good conditions, it has to have agricultural activity and you have to prove that every year basically there are censuses and there are ways of of testing that you are actually uh, being responsible in fair isle it's been a long tradition and we still do it as a community uh two years ago i reduced my flock and share my land with a neighbor because it was becoming too much uh, by running a business and trying to do the craft on my own so I have at the moment a very small number of sheep I still keep 13 in my home park and 20 up on the hills so there is also it's a sense of community within the crafting we share common grazings and we have to do things together over the years then the care that is taken when clipping the sheep to preserve a good quality fleece and all that is sent out. And those are things that, although you have an individual responsibility, you do within the community.
0: Can you tell us about your
3: flock? My flock is pure Shetland. They are the indigenous breed of the island. Fleece is a slightly different from most of the British breeds and it has a longer fibre with a more crinkly kind of texture which brings that softness. And the Shetland wool was in the 19th century considered one of the softest wools available and it basically supplied the whole of Northern Europe with undergarments. The sheep is kind of structured in parts because you will have the softest part of the fleece, which is around the neck, that is traditionally used for the lace knitting. Then you have back and front hinds, which is the rougher wool and the belly, which are used for carpet making, or a thing in Shetland that is called tatty rugs, and they were like these beautiful bed covers. And then you have the center of the fleece, the top of the body, and that is what goes into a garment that was traditionally used for the jumpers. And you get approximately one garment per fleece which is 600 grams of wool.
0: The transformation from fibre to fashion is dramatic. How do you shear your sheep and process the fleece?
3: In feral most of the fleeces are still done by hand and I quite like doing it that way. It's using the very old shears and it is kind of like if you don't tie the sheep up and it's just leaning against your body you have a moment where you are at once with the animal you can feel how they're feeling you can help them to relax and you learn to work and kind of understand them and i think that's important it brings you really close once you understand what it takes to look after this animal make sure it has a good healthy life there's also a a balance in between looking after too much then it will produce a rougher fleece and not looking good enough then the fleece will be poor it'll be just too open and you won't be able to get enough of it so it's a very delicate balance and i think the roughness of the landscape and the fact that they feed on heather mostly and we got very short uh, grass, availability of lush grass. So it keeps them at an optimum level. And you can see, especially with the sheep that live up on the hills, which are uh, completely free, you can feel the difference. And obviously, the weather has an impact. If we get uh, too wet a winter then the fleeces tend to be slightly poorer for that year. If it is too dry, too cold and they don't get enough uh, grass to eat as well. So it's really a very fine balance. All the fleeces are gathered and then later on in September are sent to Shetland mainland where one of the spinning mills collects it and then takes it and then we buy the wool from them.
0: You make traditional, and might I add, divine Fair Isle sweaters and hats. How have you overcome the challenges of building a business in such a remote location?
3: I think I'm still trying to work out how, how to do it, um, because the challenges changes uh, constantly. So at the moment we have a decrease in the population, and that is obviously not just affecting me, uh, it's affecting the whole island and putting a lot of pressure on the small number of uh, people within a working age. I think people is the biggest constraint at the moment, I'm um, reduced to one person. And it is really difficult to try to keep a business going, even if we had an influx of people. Then... Uh, I have a line of products which is a modern approach and uh, more accessible in terms of pricing which are industrially manufactured and although I'm still designing the garments here in the island and I'm using Shetland wool they are manufactured somewhere else. I'm trying always to make sure that the collections have a connection to the island and that are bringing some sort of awareness about whether it is about the tradition of the knitting or the motifs or the shape of the garments, but there's always something within the collection that is bringing back Uh, attention to the island and somehow creating awareness. And then I had the bespoke, which is the part I enjoy the most, which is working one-to-one with customers, and that I do completely myself.
0: So, if you're looking for a long-term relationship with your clothes, swipe right and look beneath the surface you might find a personality that could lead to a lifelong love affair. Or, as Ford Maddox Ford put it, the oddness of friendships are a frequent guarantee of their lasting texture. Thank you again to all our guests and to you for listening to the Selvage podcast with me, Polly Leonard. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a review to help other people discover us. To learn more about our guests on Selvage magazine, head over to the Selvage website and don't forget to subscribe be the first to find out about our next episode, where we discover why red is the hottest colour